Welcome to the Legacy Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Tommy Miller. For more information about Legacy Church, please visit us online at www.legacychurchclm.org. All right, so I have a, a word for you today that is, uh, is very pointed, it's very different, and it's not super spiritual, but I feel in my heart of hearts that it's something that it needs addressed and it'll actually set quite a few of us free. Um, today we're having the Serve Fair. Um, all of our coordinators, we've got worship, I think we've got hospitality back there, uh, children's here, the Legacy Academy there, and something that I can't, facilities um, back in that corner. So. Our coordinators in this church are qualified and have proven faithful to lead these teams. Um, And they are in need at this moment. We are in a pivotal moment in the Legacy Church organization. Both of the churches are growing like crazy. If we do not um, become intentional about strengthening the foundation of these churches, we will not be able to hold nor sustain what God wants to do here. So we need to, today, I'm going to teach on serving, and then you'll have an opportunity to do what you feel in your heart, and I'm going to explain what that means in a moment, you need to do to be a part of what God's doing at this church. So what I would really like to do is confront and kind of uh, bring to the light what serving in the local church is, because it's not what we've made it. I believe that we've done a disservice by, by putting up these pictures of like teachers taking selfies with kids and a bunch of hippie kids hanging around a sound booth and like making everyone think that it's awesome and it makes you happy and, and it's just like this complete joyride that more looks like petting bunnies on a cloud of cotton candy than it does serving the Lord. You with me? So before we talk about serving the Lord, I want to put it back in its biblical context that we've taken it out of. And I want to address some things specifically that we've done that kind of give all of us a false pretense as to what it means to serve the Lord. I spend about an hour and a half a week behind a pulpit. And when you think of a pastor, this is what they're identified by. My wife and I spend roughly 90 to 100 weeks, weeks, hours a week in our pastoral office, doing what we do, counseling people, taking phone calls, um, preparing teachings. Uh, we're, we're pastoring two churches. She's leading worship in two churches. We're preparing for the academy, and on Thursday nights we have campus class. Um, a comedian takes one year to write one hour of his content. As a pastor, I'm writing about four and a half hours worth of teaching every week. Do you think it's fun to stay locked in a dungeon with a pen and a Bible? It's not fun, but it is absolutely worth it, and it is absolutely satisfying. So we have to get out of seeing, identifying the fruit of the ministry or the process of the ministry with the joy that comes from it. Because this is the exciting part. But every one of us serving in the church has to walk through the trenches. Let me put it in context, all right? We often see these cool pictures of groups of young adults in hipster clothes, smiles on their faces, crowded around a soundboard or taking selfies with little kids. And 
I believe that it gives the wrong impression about why we serve in the church and what it is supposed to look like. My intent today is to provide a practical view on what serving in the local church looks like. I fear we have made it something that it isn't. Turn to the book of 2 Corinthians, verse 11. Excuse me, chapter 11, verse 23. This will make total sense to you. Second Corinthians 11 verse 23 starts out and says, are they ministers of Christ? And Paul says, I speak as a fool. I am more in labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths more often. From the Jews five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've been in the deep. In journeys often. In perils of water. In perils of robbers. In perils of my own countrymen. In perils of Gentiles. In perils in the city. In perils in the wilderness. In perils in the sea. In perils among false brethren. In weariness. In toil. In sleeplessness often. In hunger and thirst. In fastings often. In cold and nakedness. Besides these other things things, what comes upon me daily is my deep concern for the church. Okay, so let's talk about why this is really important to understand. Oftentimes as a church, we have the habit of confusing the means with the end. When we have a a potential volunteer, we say, well, what's on your heart to do? That is not the right question. What's on your heart to do? No. Asking someone where their heart is will determine what they're willing to suffer through. Okay? Paul's concern for the church led him to... Can you you think of another peril? He said, the Jews turned on me, the Gentiles turned on me, false brethren turned on me, my own brethren turned on me, I couldn't sleep, I didn't eat, I was beaten five times, I've been shipwrecked. And it's because of my daily concern for the church. So it's important for us to not make serving in the church about happiness. It's about satisfaction, which is far different. You as a human are a spirit living in a carnal body. And oftentimes we as churches fall into this guilty practice of trying to appeal to your carnality to get you to do spiritual work. Does that make sense? It'll make you happy. It'll be so exciting. It'll be the best thing you've ever done. Your flesh, when it gets here, will not agree with that. Your spirit will find satisfaction in carrying out what the Lord has called you to do. But your flesh, if it is alive and well, will be screaming the entire time. Finding happiness in serving is not what Paul modeled finding purpose in serving is what he did. You with me? So please, let's make this practical. When I sit down with a potential volunteer, I've never had one go, I cannot wait to scrub human feces off the back of the toilets for Jesus. I've never heard it once. I've never heard it once. I've never had a potential volunteer sit down with me and say, I can't wait to be the only adult in the room full of 30 screaming toddlers. (laughs) Never had it happen. But do you understand that serving's not about you and it never has been and it never will be? 
It's about the volume. It's about the enormity of the purpose that you stand for. Now, I'm not trying to put guilt on you right now, but we're down to like three children's church teachers. Do you know what that means? That means there are three people willing to influence our younger generation with the truth of the gospel. Their Facebook influences them to shoot their peers. The most famous people of their generation are mass murderers. Who's going to make Jesus famous to them? Who's going to pay the price? Who's going to go through the sleepless nights, through the trials, through the turmoil, through the heartache, and through the loss to make sure that Jesus is the most famous person that these people have ever seen or heard of? Because I promise you, when you get into that room and they're crying, they're screaming, they're not listening, they won't listen to you, and all of your team quits, you're not going to be like, oh shoot, this isn't what I expected. It's because we had false pretense going in. It's not about being happy. It's about finding satisfaction in purpose. You with me so far? The crux of the problem lies in this. We have mistaken satisfaction for pleasure. We think that our service to the church is supposed to please us, and when it doesn't, we usually quit. Or if we don't think it's going to, then we won't sign up. Right? So, and again, I know this is pointed, but it's biblical. So we'll look at all of these tables and we'll say, I don't want to do that, 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 I don't want to do that. They don't have anything here that I want to do. But we have to look at these tables and say, well, this serves children. I want my children to grow up founded on biblical principles. What am I willing to, to sacrifice for that heart? I want my children to grow up in a culture of worship that is willing to lift their hands no matter how hard life gets. Because your children will worship something every day for the rest of their lives. Is it worth, worth paying for, for lessons? Is it worth... What time do you guys... Get? I'm on the team. Why am I asking you? We get here at 7.30 in the morning like I don't know. I just follow her around. We get here at 7.30 in the morning. We get two weeks to practice our music beforehand. It takes a commitment. We're a high-commitment church. Do you know where, why we're a high-commitment church? Because we're not here to make you happy. We're here to change our city. If we were here to make you happy, we could all be clowns, but we're not. We're saints. And saints are here to transform the culture of our city. And that takes sacrifice, that takes commitment, that takes time, and that takes money, and that takes resources that only come from the body of Christ. You with me? Mm, I'm getting ahead of myself. Your flesh, which is by nature self-centered and self-serving and self-preserving, is always looking to be pleased. Your spirit is always looking for satisfaction. Those are two different things. For a Christian, satisfaction will only come from sacrifice. Now, I'm going to try to put this in perspective for you. How many of you have ever had a friend go through the worst thing they've ever gone through and you, you were the first person they called? Right? You, you drop everything. 
You go to their house. You forget about your own food. You forget about your own sleep. All you are there and all, all, of, all you're concerned for is making sure that they make it through this storm. Why is it that we as humans find more satisfaction in those moments than when we, when we go shopping or when we're trying to be pleased? Why do we walk out of the worst struggles of our life feeling more satisfied and more in touch with the person of God than we ever have felt before? Why does it take a storm for us to connect with the person of Jesus? Because it's what we're made for. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. It's in our nature when we finally step out of our carnality and step into the spiritual commission that we've been called to. You'll finally find happiness because happiness is never found in yourself. It's found beyond yourself. And it's found when you finally step into an an avenue or a nature of selflessness. You with me? Now, you don't have to turn here. I'm just going to kind of lay a foundation here. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11 It says, He himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints. Say, that's me. For the work of ministry. The word ministry literally meant service. For the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come to the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ that we would no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love, we might grow up into all things to him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causing the growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Now, check this out. There is a difference between God's growth in the Old Testament and God's growth in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, he said, I will allow my people to ask this of me, increase the size of my flock. That is not the New Testament prescription for the local church growth. Local church growth comes from every part doing its share. It doesn't come from uh, paint-peeling preaching. It doesn't come from uh, worship that blows the roof off. It comes from every single person doing what God has called them to do. Not because it makes them happy, but because it's worth it. Amen? Your city is always a reflection of the health of the local church. Your city is always a reflection of the health of the local church. Do you know how hard that is for me to say? In the kingdom, everything is healthier. Everything is brought to life from the inside out. The Bible says that that your body would prosper and be in good health as your soul prospers. A local church is only as strong as its core, and a city is only as strong as its church. And its church doesn't, like I said, it does not come from good preaching. We should not judge the quality of a church by their ability to preach good messages, present good worship, and take care of your kids. You need to look at the blocks that the members of your church live on and see if they look any different now. 
That's how you judge the effectiveness of a local church. Understand that doesn't come from guarding your schedule, guarding your time, guarding your heart. It comes from making yourself available and resourceful and serving the people that are available for you to serve. Amen? All right. There is a truth that transcends everything that God created. In Romans 12, it says, We have one body with many members, but all the members do not have the same function, so we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So understand that everything God created, there was, there was nothing that got to function autonomously by itself. Just because the, the church has a, a good pastor, just because the church has a good board, doesn't mean the church will function well. The church has to have a good body. If the body functions well, the church will be healthy. God himself is a community. He is the Father, he is the Son, he is the Holy Spirit. And God in himself can't do anything by himself. Or I should say this, he can't do everything by himself. That's a better way to put it. Without the Father, there is no instruction. Without the Son, there is no redemption. Without the Holy Spirit, there is no activity on this planet. So He in Himself is one body with three members, and three members in one body. We as the church made in His image are one body with many members, and many members but we're one body. So just like the triune God that created us in His image, we're all called to do something, but none of us are called to do everything. Make sense? Um, Mike Caminetti from Faith Family Church is one of our mentors, and he recently had a group come in and survey. They've got 76, maybe 85 now employees in the church and about 7,500 in attendance. And they had a consulting company come in and find out why they couldn't get volunteers. Do you know why they couldn't get volunteers? It's a super simple reason. It's because their current leaders were too strong. Meaning everybody in the seats had the impression that everything was taken care of. How many of you know that's an okay problem to have? But it's never the truth. It's never the truth. Our children's church coordinator over here, Miss Marley, smiles every Sunday. She's got 50 screaming kids back there. And when she walks into the classroom, she's like, ah! Then she comes out, she's like, hi guys. And you'll never know that she could use 30 of you to come back there and help her. Because it looks like she's got it under control. Is it worth it? It's absolutely worth it. Um, Brian Yoder, I believe, is back there teaching. You know, he had the opportunity to lead 10 of your children to the Lord last month. That's more salvations than we had out here, guys. 10 children's eternities were changed. Because somebody decided the sacrifice was worth it. Amen. You can give the Lord some praise over there. Now, the local church. It is the workings of an effective local church, or it is lights out for all humanity. The local church is the only organization equipped with the gifts, the power, the finance, and the zeal to be the solution to all of the community's problems. Our secret is activating everybody in it. 
The Bible says that he gave the fivefold ministry to equip the saints for the work of ministry. The word work meant business, or actually it meant this, existence. And the word ministry meant service, or executing the commands of another. The reason we come to church, that's, that's another thing. Can we talk about that? The modern day church has become consumer driven. That means if we don't have the lights that you like, you leave. If you don't like the Second Amendment, you leave. Like, whatever it might be, it's become consumer driven. And because it's been consumer driven, it's self-centered. The church of all things is the only organization on the planet that's not here to serve self. It says that the fivefold ministry is here to equip saints for the work, the service of ministry. We're not here to come here at all to be satisfied. We're here to be trained. How many military vets we have? One, two, three, four, five. Thank you guys so much. How fun was training? Yeah, give them a hand, please. How fun was training? No. No. But it was worth it. It was effective. But it wasn't there to tickle your fancy. It was probably there to get rid of it. One of our security gentlemen is a former army ranger. And sometimes he, he lets us in to, to some of the things that they did just for the ranger training. And oh my God. Could you imagine not sleeping for 72 hours? Was it fun? <laughs> it's not fun. But it's worth it. Our poor academy students, they're amazing. Raise your hand if you're an academy student. Praise God. They sit in class for three hours. And none of them are there to be pleased. They're there to grow, to stretch, be challenged, and be changed. And you can tell that because none of them start looking at their watch. As a matter of fact, it's hard to get us all out of there at 9 o'clock, isn't it? It's amazing. Oh, boy. Okay. The fivefold ministry is for the equip equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. Um, officers, they train soldiers, but soldiers win wars. Coaches train players, but players win games. Ministers train saints, and saints change the world. That's how this thing has to work. Now, do you understand that... I've, I've said this before, and I always get somebody that get, gets mad at me, but Jesus is not the hope of the world. Jesus is finished. And then he commissioned you to finish the work. So it is literally the functioning local church or the world's going to fall apart. There's no other hope. Prayer meetings, fantastic. It's not the solution. A functioning local church willing to put their feet to the ground and do what God has called them to do. Not just pray how God has called them to pray. Paul did a lot more walking than he did praying. You with me? I'm not, I'm not upset with prayer meetings. They're fantastic. We have them. Good idea. But if your prayer doesn't lead you to action, it's hypocrisy. Okay. I'm going to address some things. Okay? A few things that, that our generation... And, and I really don't think it's that prevalent here, honestly. We have, we have people that have bled here. They sweat here. They cry here. We have people that have given their lives for the gospel. Um, culturally, I'd like this to be addressed. We usually have about 2,000 people that watch our message every Sunday. So it's important that we bring biblical foundations back to things that we think are cool, but they're not biblical. Here's the first one. Ready for this? Bro, <laughs> we don't need a church. We are the church. Do you know how dangerous that saying is? 
It's absolutely true. But do you know how dangerous it is? Because it gives us a really unbalanced view of this training center that God has gifted to us. Do you know that the the word church means ecclesia, which means governing assembly. Every governing assembly needs a headquarters from which they operate in the city they're called to. If we don't put a priority on our tent stakes, if we don't put a priority on our tent stakes in this city, we won't look like we're here to stay. This is the place that people see as the hospital for the lost and broken, the training center for the saints. And although we are the church and this building is not, that is absolutely true. But being too far to either one of those, those revelations is equally dangerous. This is our representation in this city that we're here for them. There's a courthouse two blocks down. Do you know why it's there? So the governing assembly has a place to train, meet, make decisions, and, and, and conduct business for their city. This is the equivalent of our heavenly outpost. This is our heavenly embassy, and it is vitally important that it's well taken care of. You know that? Some people, when, when we have this idea that we are the church, so we don't need the church, we, we stop putting a priority on our Display to the community. Do you know that, that King David, when he was surveying land to put God's temple in, somebody offered him a discount on the land, and he refused the discount. He refused the discount because the land was for his Lord, and his Lord pays full price every time. The ecclesia is the governing assembly of the world. It's made of people, not bricks. This is true. But every ecclesia in history has a headquarters. Not just any headquarters, but a breathtaking headquarters. King David surveyed the land and refused to take a a, a discount. Because he served a God that paid full price. The building reflected the character of the king or the head of the organization. And our generation has come up with these crazy taglines. And we've allowed our representation to the community to become mediocre. (laughs) We come up with these taglines. I don't need to go to church. I am the church. That's unbiblical. The Bible says not to forsake the assembling together. Just because you are the church doesn't mean you can function because you're not trained. Bro, why pay for the building when it's not the church? We're the church. I just told you why. Because this is our outpost. These are our tent stakes. This says we're here, we're powerful, and we're not going anywhere. Here's the next one that I hate to hear. God knows I love him. I'm going to stay home. I just don't like people. That's sensual and demonic, and it has nothing to do with Jesus. By this, they'll know that you're my disciples, that you love one another. I know some really good, good people that won't go to church because they don't like other people, which doesn't necessarily make them good people. Talented people, faithful people, they they love the Lord. But you can't love God and not love his creation. All right. Next thing, satisfaction versus sacrifice. The church today has done a disservice to the congregation by giving the impression that serving in a church is a utopian nirvana experience that mirrors petting bunnies on a cloud of cotton candy. We're given the impression that it's easy, and that's not true at all, but I can tell you that it is worth it. 
Let me explain this. We get the means confused with the end. When we ask, what's on your heart? Somebody says, well, I'd like to make coffee. Nobody's born to make coffee. Okay? People are born to love people. And if the avenue that you choose to love people through is making coffee, then do it. But we cannot, as a church, get the means confused with the end. Because the end is where your heart is. The means is what's necessary to make it come to pass. So none of us, when we see these booths, are like, well, I think I'd like to sing, or I think I'd like to sweep the floor. Like, nobody wants to sweep the floor. Nobody. Don't think you're weird because you're like, that's just not on my heart. Nobody loves sweeping floors. But can I tell you what I've noticed in the church? And this is what's amazing. Where's John Smith? Is John Smith in here or Ashley? Both of them qualify. Let me tell you about John Smith and Ashley Smith. They are the coordinators of our uh, facilities team. They both know the word inside and out. They are some of the most qualified saints to take this pulpit and train you. And do you know where their maturity has led them? To sweep the floors. Because... Maturity manifests itself in humility, submission, and service. When people come to me, they're like, I just want to preach. I'm like, you ain't going to preach for a long time then, buddy. Here's a washcloth. Maturity always leads people to sacrifice. And the people that you, have in the, that you see in these positions that spend 10, 20, 30 hours a week, it happens at this church behind the scenes, making sure that you see Jesus in everything we do. It's because maturity and love has led them there. It's not because they love sweeping floors. You with me? The Queen of Sheba came to to King Solomon to see the temple of God. And when she came there, she told Solomon, she said, everybody's talking about this place. It was a building, guys. It wasn't the people in it. Everybody's talking about this building. And they said, she said that I didn't believe half of what they said, but what they said wasn't even enough to explain how amazing this place is. She said she walked in and she saw the arrangement of the chairs, the furniture and the doorways and the, the attitude of the servants and said she fell over as dead because the building was that beautiful. It's irresponsible of us for our facilities not to reflect our king. And do you know that people decide whether or not they're going to leave or stay at your church within 39 seconds of pulling in your parking lot? That has nothing to do with your ministry. That has to do with your furniture, your building, and the people at the front door. So you might think, oh, I'm too overqualified to shake a hand at the front door. Buddy, tell you what, it's one of the hardest jobs we have. Because no matter how you feel, it doesn't matter. It's your responsibility to make them feel like a million bucks. Even if you just fought with your spouse on the way through the door. Right, guys? <laughs> Brooke and Keith Riddle head up that ministry, and they do a fantastic job at it. And you know, people feel that that position is mundane because, well, I'm gifted. You might be gifted, but are you mature enough to serve? Way different. You with me so far? Service and satisfaction are two different things. And oftentimes we think that our heart, this is, a, this is a lie, we think that our heart has to be in the service. It doesn't. It has to be in the fruit. The service has nothing to do with where your heart is. It's what's necessary to make your heart's culture manifest. The Bible says that Jesus, ready for this? Do you think Jesus, like... Do you think Jesus sat in his mom's basement and he's like, I just can't wait 
to take 40 beatings on my back. He bought the books. How to get beat the right way. He wasn't excited about it. Getting beat, killed, maimed, mocked, and tortured were not his hobbies. They aren't what satisfied him. But the Bible says that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. So what joy is before us that makes serving worth it? Because I'm telling you right now, you won't have that much fun. (laughs) I'm sorry. If you're looking for your flesh to get tickled, it ain't happening. But your spirit will be satisfied. Your spirit will be satisfied. (laughs) I hope this is okay. We make the grave mistake of confusing the end with the means. We think that our heart has to be in the process rather than in the fruit of the process, and that is dangerous. Please do not get the means confused with the end, or your heart will tell you that it's not worth it. And it will dictate whether or not you're willing to sacrifice. Now, if you put your heart in the burden, it will dictate what you're willing to do. Does that make sense? Serving means doing whatever is necessary to bring about the will of God. Serving in the church is not about what makes you happy. It's about what needs done to make sure heaven comes to earth. Make sense? I'm almost done. I hope this is okay. Matthew 6, 21. This is my favorite verse. Um, when I want to feel bad about myself. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We think that we're supposed to focus our efforts on where we believe our heart should be. But Jesus says, if you stop right now, and you take an analysis of where you're placing your treasures, you will know where your heart lies. Look at the places in your life where you're willing to sacrifice, and you will know where your affections lie. If you say your heart is for the kingdom, and you take a current analysis of your time, talents, and treasures, and it's not serving your local church, you're lying to yourself. Make sense? Now, we've said it before. Not everybody is is called to do something in the local church. Your function might be to be trained in this local church and go out and do something else. So if there is no position that that you think you're you're cut out for, your burden doesn't lie in, um, that's okay. But you're supposed to be doing something, undoubtedly. So just to catch up. We, the, the things that I'm confronting. One is we are the church. We don't need a church. Two is satisfaction versus service. Number three is convenience versus commitment. Now let me say this. <clears throat> we are a high commitment church. And we're a high commitment church on purpose. Because the level of commitment you expect will yield the results that you get. And if we know what our vision is, we have already counted the cost to know what it's going to take to get there. And when somebody wants to to be part of a team and they're not willing to pay the same price, then we won't come out to the same vision. It just happens that way. It's it's normal. So understand this. We're a high-commitment church. That doesn't make you a bad person. If you're not a high-commitment person, it just means you can't serve here. If we require, like uh, our students get two absences a month, if their work schedule interferes, totally fine. Totally fine. Doesn't make you a bad person. It just makes you unable to be a student. 
because we can't expect commitment from everybody and then let one person slide when we know what we're trying to, to accomplish. Does that make sense? Let me tell you a story. Um, one of the books that our academy students have to, have to read, um, I believe it's this, this upcoming trimester, is called Courageous Leadership by Bill Hybels. And Bill Hybels was a um, consultant to the White House for years, uh, a spiritual consultant. And one of the things that he had the privilege of doing that changed his ministry forever was he got to take a trip to Ground Zero on September 12th. No, I'm lying to you. It was September 20th. Ground Zero. Right after the Twin Towers fell, thousands of bodies in the rubble. The, the, the White House took him down there to be a counselor to the people that were, were involved. He saw firefighters that had been awake for 10 days that hadn't gone home in 10 days. They might lay on some rubble, take a nap, and get up and start working. He'd be looking these men in the face and seeing that they were, they were so tired, they were crying, but they refused to give up because there were still screams coming from under the rubble. And he said he found himself in a position for the first time ever, not knowing what to say. Son, go home, see your family, or keep digging. They could live. He said, I realized at that time that the expectation of service has to be directly in line with the enormity of the mission. And if it's the eternity of our city, then there is no such thing as an expectation that's too high. You with me? He was staring a firefighter in the face. And he knew that if he told him to go home, people would die. He knew that if he told him to stay, he wouldn't get to sleep. Who do you try to satisfy? The good of many? Is this hitting home with you? Does this make sense? The most comfortable, the most satisfying way to serve is to never make it about you, your opinion your actions, someone else's feedback. Paul said, my own countrymen, my own countrymen caused me trouble. And he said, but what comes upon me daily is my concern for the church. That means just because you and your own countrymen get in a fight doesn't mean you leave. You stay and you labor. You leave over an offense, you know what church was about for you. Right? Is this okay? Y'all quiet. (laughs) All right. So I'm going to take you through something real quick that I take all of our coordinators through. And if you've been on the receiving end of this conversation, you're welcome. This is one of the best conversations that you will ever have with a leader or with the Lord. It's the would you like to leave also conversation. Are you guys familiar with this? In the book of John chapter 6. Before I get there, let me tell you a story. My, my wife always reminds me of this, this story. I forget who told it to us. It's not in the Bible. It's just kind of an illustration. Um, Jesus and the 12 disciples are on a journey, and he asks all of the disciples, he says, guys, I want you to carry a rock for me. Ready? I said that specifically. I want you to carry a rock for me. So, so Peter thinks he's tough, right? Excuse me. I lied. All of the disciples just gather up some rocks. They carry them, and Peter's like, well, hey. He just said, carry a rock. He didn't say how big. So he picks up a pebble, right? And he's carrying it, and they get to the end of the day, and Jesus is like, okay, everybody put your rocks down. And like, they throw them to the ground. He's like, and then he turns all of their rocks to bread. So everybody's there feasting, and Peter's like, son of a gun. Right? So the next day, Jesus wakes everybody up. Guys, pick up a rock for me. So Peter thinks he's got a good idea this time, right? He tosses this big sucker up on his shoulders, and he hikes it all day long, and then he's like, all right, guys, we're going to camp here. Put him down. And then he says, all right, everybody go to bed. And Peter's like, hey, what gives? 
Jesus says, what do you mean? He says, well, yesterday you, you turned the rocks into bread. He says, I asked you to carry a rock for me. Why were you carrying the rock? It's so easy for serving Jesus to turn into something selfish. To, to be about what you can get from him rather than what you can do for him in, in reverence and respect and return for what he's already done for you while you were yet a sinner. Jesus, in Matthew, John chapter 6, it says, Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. My flesh is food indeed, my blood is drink indeed, and he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the, as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven. Not like your fathers ate the manna, they're dead. They, excuse me, he who eats this bread will live forever. These things... He said in the synagogue and as he taught in Capernaum. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can understand it? Then Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained, and he said to them, Does this offend you? What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and their life. But there are some of you who do not believe, for Jesus knew from the beginning who they were, who did not believe, and they would betray him. And he said, Therefore, I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it's been granted to him by the Father. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Then Jesus said to the twelve, Would you like to also leave? Now, this is a perfect example of commitment and expectation. Jesus knew that the level of commitment it took was to eat his body, drink his blood, and this is what you'll get. We as a church have determined we have to do this and this to accomplish this. And if somebody comes to us and they're like, well, what's it take to get on the worship team? It's like, well, it's a pretty extensive process. And we know by your ability to complete the process if you're going to be committed to the worship team. It's built into our process. Will you take time? Is this important enough for you to do? If the application is not important, then we know the ministry is not. you don't do this and this, you can't get that. All of our ministries have a minimum expectation, and it's a very high one. And when people come to us, listen, let me tell you what happens. And somebody's not meeting expectations, we're very gracious. We're very gracious. But when they say, well, we can't do that, we say, that's okay, would you like to go home? And then do you know what every human has to do within themselves when Jesus has that conversation with you? You have to make a decision. And usually the decision is, where will we go? You have the words of life. And you're forced to reconcile within yourself, am I in or am I out? That question will inevitably kick you off the fence. You have to choose a side. You have to choose a side. Commitment versus convenience. What, so we use this thing here called Planning Center Online. Planning Center Online is a service that pushes invitations out all of, to all of the volunteers. Um, we need them for worship practice. We need them to serve in children's church, their door greeters that day, whatever. It's our easy way of scheduling. We always make the joke, what if Jesus was our PCO administrator? And you get an invitation to come serve, and you say, sorry, decline, death in the family. And then he writes back, let the dead bury their own dead. See you Sunday. He was pretty high commitment Jesus, right? 
And I'm not saying don't be there for your families. That's really radical. Only Jesus would say something like that. And I'm going to act like we shouldn't live like that, but I believe we should. Is serving in the church what you do when you have time? Or did you make time to serve in the church? Because that's how you know if it's convenient or commitment. Make sense? I can count the amount of amens I've gotten in this service on zero hands. Wait, Diane, you got me covered. Thank you. All right. So I'm going to finish up with this. I've got five questions. I'm going to go quick that you can ask yourself to ask to see if you're committed. Number 1. Have I resolved to make a solemn promise? In the kingdom your word means something. Instead of just being hollow words said casually in passing, a serious commitment is a solemn pledge to keep oh I didn't say Siri I said serious does it all the time I'm going to skip that instead of being hollow words said casually in passing a legitimate commitment is a solemn pledge to make you keep with yourself and others you must understand the complete consequences of your commitment and fully mean it when you say it when you make a commitment others will take you seriously and rely on you to live up to your word. Do you know that when, when you have committed to serve and you don't serve, the entire church pays the price? The entire church pays the price. And your team pays the price. It's not just, I don't feel like being there today, so I'm not going to go. You cause a ripple because you're that important to the body of Christ that your presence not being there causes a rift throughout the entire church. Did you know that? Number two, are you fully invested or are you half-hearted? A serious commitment means you fully invest yourself in the cause, physically, mentally, and emotionally. You connect completely with your cause and... I said seriously again. I got to stop that. Where did I say it? Yep, serious commitment. Okay, she's done talking. This is really putting a hindrance on this. You connect completely with your cause. You passionately pursue it by putting your whole heart, mind, and soul into it. You don't hold back, but you go all in and put your full attention, energy, and effort into accomplishing your goal. How many of you know that if your heart is in the end and not the means, that's a lot easier to do? Because if you think you're going to church to change diapers and watch screaming children, it's really easy to cancel. But if you know you're going to church to change the futures, the eternities, and the culture of the minds and hearts of young people, you will not cancel no matter the reason. Number three, are you here out of sacrifice or convenience? When you make a serious commitment to someone or something, it also means you're willing to selflessly make individual sacrifices for it. If it is a key priority for you and something you willingly work for the rest of your, work the rest of your life around, even if it causes some personal hardship for you. Commitment means you knowingly and willingly give up things that you might want in the short term to gain something eternal and greater in the long term. In a team setting, commitment also means sometimes sacrificing your individual goals for the good of the team. Number four, are you long term or are you for a season? 
People come to Shanda and I all the time, and they, they and I don't, it's nobody here, but they tell us this. Well, the Lord's calling us to your church for a season. So you know what we say? Well, then you can sit right there in that chair for a season. Because the people that are here are here to die with us. It's not saying the Lord can't call you out, but you, if you already have intentions of abandoning your post, we're not going to give you one. And if you look at your ministry as a stepping stool into another ministry, you also can't do that. Because if you get the position of sweeping the floors and you're only doing it to earn credibility so someday you can preach or something, you're not going to put into that ministry what you're supposed to. Because service is not a stepping stool. That's the corporate America model. That's not the kingdom model. He who desires to be great among you, let him be the servant of all. The apostles asked if Jesus could sit on his right hand and on his left. These were the leaders of the local church. And he said, no, 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 no. That's reserved for somebody else. Because those guys got attaboys all the time. It's going to be people who were faithful with their brooms and washcloths that sit up there. Faithful with giving away. Faithful with generosity. Faithful with making themselves of no importance. That's who those seats are reserved for. Never look at an opportunity as a ser- to serve as a stepping stone. The time that you're serving, you'll be thinking that you're too good for it and waiting for your big break. A serious commitment is a long-term obligation that you must continually work towards and ideally see through to completion. It isn't something you try out and then easily abandon. It's something you establish, embody, and embrace for the long haul. Number five. Will you persevere? And this is... I, we're not going to like... Have an altar call. I'm going to teach this and we're going to have fun. Will you persevere? A serious commitment means sticking with something even when and especially when times are tough. Just like the traditional marriage vows for richer or for poorer in sickness and in health, true commitment is unwavering regardless of circumstance. When you make a commitment to someone or something, you must make a pact to persevere through tough times together. It won't be easy, but it will always be worth it. Now let me tell you this. Tagging on to that point, your commitment will always be tacked attested by your action. It's one thing to talk about commitment, it's another to do something about it. And the only real measure of commitment is action. Arthur Gordon says, nothing is easier than saying words. Nothing is harder than living them day after day. Commitment, listen to this, it's good stuff, is discovered in the midst of adversity or conflicting opportunities. You can't measure or even see commitment until you're faced with a challenge or an alternative. Meaning, if you're there because it's the only thing you have to do, that's still not commitment. If you're there because it's easy, that's not commitment. There are three things that will test your commitment. Number one is disagreement with your leadership. I think I should teach on this. I'll teach for a moment. Do you understand that the the democracy system is just a couple of hundred years old? The system of democracy where, where it's by the people, for the people, is a few hundred years old. And every time it's been established in history, it's failed. In the kingdom, God anoints people for positions of leadership. And then he implements a system of leadership and submission, and that glue holds the structure together. Somebody's in charge, and somebody's in submission. Submission has has become a dirty word. Submission is two words. Submission. Meaning you're on mission with them, but you're under their authority. Submission. That's all it means. If you have a, a worship leader, they are on a worship mission, you are in submission to them, meaning their mission is your mission now. Make sense? 
So voting by the people, for the people, that's not how the kingdom works. Jesus established apostles, then prophets, then teachers, then pastors, then evangelists. And that was the leadership hierarchy of the church. And the glue that held the church together was a structure of of reverent leadership and submission. It's biblical. You should read it. You probably won't like it. Because we've been so consumed with our rights that we don't know what submission really is. But let me tell you the secret of submission in the church. The secret of submission in your marriage is that submission doesn't start until agreement ends. Submission does not start until agreement ends. So only when you're on a team and you're in disagreement with your leadership can you actually choose to submit. Until then, you're just in agreement and there's no no submission required. Make sense? Your commitment will be tested by disagreeing with leadership. Your commitment to your calling and vision will be tested and proven when you have an opposing viewpoint with your senior leadership. Will you fight? Will you flee? Or will you remain faithful? We know that conflicts in an organization, when handled well, is healthy. But if you flee your commitment, here's the truth. You were committed to a man and not a mission. With me? Number two. Your commitment will be tested when everything hits the fan. Vince Lombardi says the harder you work, the harder it is to surrender. When you've put your blood, sweat, and tears into something, the last thing you will do is abort mission. So understand that it's not always going to be easy. There will always be a time when it looks like it's appropriate to throw in the towel, but it never is. Number three, and this is where I'm going to close. When you're faced with an alternative opportunity, sometimes we are in a position because we've got nothing better to do. When we are committed and something else calls us away because it is a better opportunity, that's not commitment. Amen? Amen. I'm going to shut up now. Um, what, I, what my heart really was to do was to get us our hearts in tune with what God wants to see happen. And then understand that we're not looking for the one that makes us the happiest. We're, we're looking for the one where we believe that we can bear fruit and that we're willing to sacrifice to see it happen. Um, What we're going to do now is we're going to ask our coordinators to take their places at their table. You don't have to stay for this if you're not going to sign up for anything. Um, But if you want to have a conversation with a coordinator about serving in facilities, hospitality, uh, children's church, if you want to enroll for next year's academy, we have 20 students this year. We want 40 next year. Um, The students will tell you that it's probably the best thing that's ever happened to them. It's been the most fruitful thing that my ministry has ever seen. It's amazing. Um, You do not have to be a member of Legacy. You do have to serve in your local church to be part of the academy. Um, but what I'd like to do now is pray over you. Um, and then if you want to go talk, they've, they've got sign-up sheets. You won't have to do anything today other than acknowledge your interest. They'll go through the training, the applications, and all that stuff with you um, this week. Amen. How many of you are interested now in serving somewhere? Amen. Can we pray? Father, thank you for an amazing day. I ask you right now that you do in this place what only you can do, Lord. We understand that this is a pivotal moment. Um, for Legacy Church, that you are going to expand our tent stakes, you're going to solidify our foundation, and that you'll bring more people into service that have something to offer. Father, I thank you for for giving us um, insight into what it means to put our time, talents, and treasures into the local church. Father, we ask and we pray it, and we ask that you lead us now in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Give the Lord a shout.